Hello, my fellow music lovers. I'm Alison Hagendorf, and welcome to the show. This is where we celebrate the universal love of music and the rock and roll spirit that lives in each of us. I just want to thank all of you for your outpouring of love and support. As soon as we launched this show one week ago today, we have so many incredible guests lined up that I cannot wait to share with you. Also, thank you to those of you who answered my question about how you feel about wearing the band t-shirt to go see the band. And it seems like most of you agree with me that it is indeed a proud badge of honor. And I continue this conversation with today's guest, Tom Morello. And I feel like whatever Tom says kind of goes. Let's dive in. I'm so glad you're here. My guest today is my friend and not only a guitar virtuoso, but he actually created his own signature sound. The great Tom Morello is here today. You know him from Rage Against the Machine, Audio Slave, Prophets of Rage. We talk about his latest song, Gossip, with global superstars Monaskin. We actually talk about how to pronounce Monaskin. We talk about how he chooses all of the artist collaborations he does, his nearly 100-year-old mother, the greatest rock star of all, Mary Morello, the future of Rage Against the Machine, and his secret collaboration with Post Malone. It all starts now. Tom, huge congratulations, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nomination oh, for Rage Against the Machine again. Thank you. I think this is the fifth nomination, so I, I appreciate that. We'll see how we do. I will tell you, as a proud voter, I do vote for Rage Against the Machine every single year. Well, then you can't be blamed for us not getting I, it. I can't <laughs> be blamed. And also Soundgarden. Soundgarden yeah, also. Yeah, great. Yeah. There's a little Iron Maiden on there, too. So And White Stripes. There's some. That's and, right. Yeah, it's, oh, a good, some, it's a good... A good class this year. So it's sort yeah, of a yeah. win-win. But I wanted you to know I'll be voting for you yet again. I just well, I appreciate to- I appreciate your pre-commitments to that. That's <laughs> nice. <laughs> I'm all in. Um, by the way, I wore this shirt for you. Okay. Long live there we, rock music. Long, exactly. We gotta keep shouting it from the mountaintops. Well, you have a strong t-shirt game too. So I just felt like I yeah, wanted to well, match I'm, your I'm a Chicago. This is a Chicago radio station, which I'm sure doesn't exist anymore, but was a was a proud uh banner waiver for rock and roll for decades and decades. That's great. We got to represent. Yeah. How do you, I'm one of those people and I'm proud of it that I wear the band's t-shirt to go see them play. Not only, not, not only am I not ashamed, I'm like, yes, here I am. I'm committed. Why would, you, why, why would one be ashamed to wear the band's t-shirt to go see them play? Like, why is that a thing? I always, I, I don't, don't even, I never knew it was until, until this moment right now. Here's the more controversial <clears throat> one is when you're the band, do you wear your T-shirt when you play? You're I think right there's some bands that can get away with it and some like, I think Motley Crue can wear Motley Crue shirts when they're playing Motley Crue shows and everything's oh. cool. But I think if right. Eddie Vedder wore a Pearl Jam shirt when he was playing, mm-hmm. it would make me think twice. That's and maybe interesting. That's some regional prejudice. Would you wear a Rage shirt to one of your shows? I would not. You would not? I would not. But you're right with Motley Crue. Totally, anything goes fine. There. Poison, they can wear their own shirts totally and everything fine. accepts it. Yeah. That's an interesting assessment. Um, yeah. <laughs> what about Manaskin? First of all, is that how you pronounce it? Is it Manaskin? Let me tell you. No, it is It is one of the most interesting success stories in the history of rock because it's a rock and roll band from Italy with an unpronounceable name that is <laughs> that has become very successful. So that's, that's a lot. They had a lot going against them to start with. <laughs> And right. yes, they rocketed up the charts. I believe Huge it's Mon- I believe it's Mona Skin. 
as if, as if it's M O N. Because the band is from Italy, but the word is Danish. It Danish. means something like moon sh- moon shining. Right. So it's it's mixed language, mixed culture. It is. It is. It is. But I do have to say, like, it's a very like I didn't my I, I played on the Mona Skin song Gossip and have been sort yes. of making the rounds with them as their record their new record Rush has come out. I didn't know much about the band. I was they had that big song Begin, which was like a big a cover multi-billion yeah. streaming song went out, but I didn't know much about the band. So um, a friend of mine's uh, kid was a big Monaskin fan. So when they were playing at the Roxy, you know, a year or, or more ago, um, they asked me if I could help facilitate, you know, getting into the show. I'm like, of course, like, fine, whatever. Um, I've said, I'm not going to the show. Let me just make that clear. I'm not, I'm not going to show up. <laughs> I will not be attending. I ended up taking them the sound check and meeting the band in like in the parking lot and hang out. They were just lovely and big fans of rock and sort of knew my catalog inside and outside and we exchange, we exchange numbers and when they were in town you know in the interim i had seen them play like on saturday Night live and some shows and like this is like a real band like it's yeah. not like you know i i didn't know what it was when someone has a pop hit one suspects there's 54 songwriters and a producer doing all that stuff this day and age but that but you know um i went out they were recording their record in in la and i went over to the house and we jammed a few days and i was like they can really fucking play and they're like lovely people and we just became really Aww. good friends and and I jammed on that song and so it's nice for them to have it as the single. I love hearing that because you're right it was a, an explosion. It was like an overnight yeah. explosion worldwide. Yeah. It was an anomaly. Yeah. And when I was at Spotify, I was supporting them 100% putting yeah. them on every yeah. playlist. It was just sort of like an undeniable fun feeling. Yes. Song yeah, yeah, after yeah. song was just a blast. Yeah, um, yeah. And then, you know, their fashion sense and their whole persona right. it was just so fun and refreshing. But that's great to hear that not only are they talented, but great yeah. people as well. Yeah, and I'm just glad lovely. that you guys get yeah. on. It's, it's, been, it's been great hanging out with them and just sort of, you know, sort of seeing on the one hand, I think they're all like 22 years old. But it's like, here's they were they were busking on the streets of they, some of them know each other since they were 12. When they were 15 years old, the four of them were playing on the streets of Rome for change. So this is not a band that like was manufactured by right. some game show, you know, some talent right. talent show or something. Like they've really been friends for their whole lives. And and at 22, you know, they're, they're playing stadiums in Italy, you know, and they've got they have like a, a presence and they're not afraid of it. And they are unapologetically a real rock and roll band, unapologetically a really like sort of sexy sex band you know and they they have ideas too and it's like it it, it's crazy that it's an italian band in this day and age that is one of the standard bearers uh for rock and roll but i'm all for it and it's important to know that that they're the real deal because some people hear oh they were on a television show and they they like get an eye roll but no that was just the platform that helped propel all the work they were already doing that's correct. And it's a television, it's a different television show. Like it's a television show that you too has played and that Bruce Springsteen yes. has played. And yes. it's not just, it's not like, I don't know what the equ would be here, but it's not like a just, I, I don't, I don't know much about the show other than the fact that all those bands have played it and it's one thing that helped them out. So I'm all for it. And I'm so glad it did because it's important. You know, they're waving the flag. They're just, yeah. it's like yeah. a, a jolt of that rock and roll spirit and that rock and roll energy. It, it introduces to young, you know, kids, you know, 10, 11, 15, 17, 20, whatever, to, you know, they're nominated for, when's the last time a rock band has been nominated for Best New Artist at the Grammys? Yes, you're right. You know what I mean? You know, and so, and so it's just I think it was on Greta Van Fleet. Yeah, I think it was <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a band yeah. with, it's a band with guitars in it, you know, yes. that is now the favorite band of 12-year-olds 
competitive with K-pop bands and pop Fantastic. bands and, and rap artists and whatnot. I watched your performance on Fallon. It was so fun. It was yeah, such a yeah. great show. Yeah, it's nice to I've been I've rocked Fallon and with a lot of different a lot of different bands and it was a real blast playing with those guys. I actually went to your performance on Kimmel when you played with Portugal the Man and we like oh, had sure. time to kill. We went to David sure. Buster's for hours. <laughs> 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 That's one of the great upsides of playing Kimmel is David Buster's, which is a video game place if you don't know, uh, is right across the street. So you can like, you can spend time to go have a beverage and, and rock some uh, pinball machines. We did. That was a good time. Yeah. We'll have to do that yeah. again. I feel like you have become like the king of collaborations. You know, I mean, of course, <laughs> At Atlas Underground, all of your albums. Yeah. But what I love about them is that you, in your collaborations, it's sort of the full spectrum of type yeah. of artists and genre and spirit and culture. How do you yeah. even begin to decide who you're going to collaborate with? Yeah, well, I mean, I've made of, of you know, whether it's Rage, Audio Slave, Profits, a couple of spring, I've made like 22 records in my, in my career. And then hundreds of hundreds of collaborative singles and things like that. And it's always been like, I love like learning new things, but seeing where applying my ideas and talents in different situations, like where that leads me, you know, right. it's all, it's great to like be in a band and you're in a band with the same people and you write songs together and have that path. But, but unexpectedly, like I've learned so much from both Pete Seeger and Wu-Tang Clan, oh, you know so what I mean? Cool. You know, mm -hmm. and, yeah. um, you know, from Joe Strummer and from Metallica, you know, and so it's just, I just love kind of, if there's a studio door, I'm always happy to kind of walk through it. And, and especially like on the Atlas Underground records, you know, which I've made three of three of now. I mean, the, the, the guiding light from those was trying to push myself as a guitar player and inject electric guitar and guitar soloing and wild guitar playing and big riffs into the current conversation. So playing my style of electric guitar uh, and see how it morphs when I'm rocking it with sort of EDM beats or with a mm -hmm. folk group or with uh, sort of someone who's more of a singer songwriter, something that has maybe even sort of a more of a pop thing. Like the Portugal, the man, the song I did with Portugal, the man, that's the first time in a long time where there was like an electric guitar solo on the radio. Yes. You know, like, you yes. Know, you know yes. we made room. Thank we made, you for we making made, that happen. Yeah. We made eight bars. You know, we made eight bars for the kids <laughs> to, hear, to hear a guitar solo on the radio. Um, so on the one hand, it's kind of missionary work. In that way, it's like, oh, like, I, I believe that the electric guitars, uh, you know, uh, greatest days are not behind it. And that there is a that there is a potential future um, for that awesomeness of distorted electric guitar to in, infuse itself, um, you know, in the years and, and decades to come. You had shared with me sort of on the DL, you had collaborated with Post Malone at some point. Yes, yes. Post Malone, and I have a fat jam that I can't get him to finish. So if you can... Let me tell, like, it's, this is maybe now four years ago or something. I went, we went into the studio one night and I had heard that he was like a fan of rock. And so I went by and he's a lovely dude. First of all, he's just a lovely, lovely person. He's trippy. And he has like, at the time he had, you know, how like some people have like guitar techs or drum yeah. techs. He, he has like, like a Coors Light tech. So there's a guy, <laughs> there's a guy whose, whose sole job it apparently was. To just make sure that there's a stack of cold cords. Like, That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. Life goals. Life yeah, goals yeah, yeah. for me right there. Anyway, we worked on a on a pretty sick jam that that to me felt like could be for him, like his beat it, 
You know, yeah. when Michael Jackson, a big pop star, put, you know, p- paired with Eddie Van Halen and made mm-hmm. something that no one had expected. And I was like, this could be your beat it, dude. He just won't finish the song. So he's still a lovely dude. I see him from time to time. Like, you're still dropping the ball on that when he's like, yeah, man, I know I'm going to do that. I'm like, okay. Well, hopefully this will resurrect it because I heard it and I concur that it's awesome. It's, it's sick. Also, he can sing. You know, I don't you know if no people idea. realize yeah. what a great yeah. singer he is. Yeah. And he's like a rock, like, he, I guess, yeah, we were talking, sitting around, you know, we, it took about like four hours of sitting around with Coors Lights before we did any recording. And, <laughs> and I was like, I learned that his first show that he ever went to, his dad took him to Corn. Corn. So like, so like the first time he ever like saw a show, it was Corn. I was like, that's interesting. And it explains on the one hand why he could rock a song with me that was potent, but it does not explain why he has not finished the damn song so the world can enjoy it. All right. Well, I'm putting it out to the world. Tom Morello sure. and Post Malone, the song needs to come out. Let me know. Another collaboration you did, which I loved, is of course with your son Roman and sure. the great Nandy Bushel, who is another yeah. guest on yeah. this show. Yeah. Um, the children will rise up. So tell me yeah. about yeah. you connecting with Nandy and Roman. Sure, sure, sure. So I was a fan of Nandy via her kind of Instagram work and her awesome. At the time, she was, I think when I first became aware, she was maybe like 10 years old, something like that. And she right. had these awesome videos where she's playing the drums and screaming her head off and just like the joy of rock and roll. She's inhabited with the Holy Spirit of rock and roll in a way, which was just so awesome. Anyway, during the pandemic, she reached out to me. Um, and because I think I, I'd sent her, a, she had covered a Rage or an Audio Slave song and I had sent her a guitar. And so we sort of became Insta friends. And she reached out and said, you know, do you want to do a song together? I said, I would love to do a song with you. But what you don't know is I got a nine-year-old kid under my, I'm not, I'm the second best guitar player in my house right now. So I've got my, my son, Roman, who's like, you know, why don't you guys do a song together? And they did. They wrote that song. They wrote the song together and I just produced it and um, it's called The Children Will Rise Up. And she, you know, uh, plays bass and drums and sings on it. And they sort of collaborated on the lyrical content. And he plays an awesome shredding guitar solo. And we got Jack Black to be in the video. And it was really like during pandemic times when there's not a lot, not a lot of awesome going on. That was one bit of awesome that happened. Did you have any advice to share with Nandy or Roman as they're, as they're aspiring musicians and coming I gotta up? I got to tell you, I'm, I'm sort I'm, I'm inspired by them in some ways, like sort of like seeing that the light, like it's a reminder of when yeah. the reason why you first pick up an instrument and like how on fire you can be when you first learn, you know, some of the licks from the Stairway to Heaven solo. Or I can see that like when she does those cover videos, whether it's Tool or Foo Fighters or Rage or whatever. Okay. Like you just kind of like, oh my gosh, I can play this too. Maybe I can write something like that too. So, I mean, as far as my my only, I, I, I try to get out of the way for the most part and let, them, let, the, let the children rise up. Um, but I might've made some suggestions with regards to, you know, editing and maybe maybe uh-huh. the chorus, maybe, the, maybe we do the riff at the top here and whatnot. But for the most part, it was really all their, um, it was, it was all their vibe. I love that. And you know, I take yeah. notes from you because we are both parents of two sons. We are rock parents. Yes. We yes. are rock parents. Now, yeah. Roman is into rock and roll. Yeah. But Rhodes is not. Yeah. He's a teenager. Like he likes, he introduces me to both of them do, but he introduces me to every day. It's some new hip hop artist I've never heard of. And he explains to me why it's significant to him. And yeah, it's yeah. great. It's like, it's, um, I honestly, I can't keep track, but it's like, he has a deep catalog of knowledge of contemporary music. And, you know, it is funny though. Like every once in a while, uh, because of, uh, 
formats like TikTok and thing where Mm -hmm. in in the same way that like the the guitar hero video game used to bring songs from the past to children of the present. Um, TikTok does stuff like that as well. I'll tell you, there was the, the, um, one thing that's funny that you can relate to is, you know, the song I did with, with grandson, like I, like I, I I did a remix of the grandson of the big hit. And one day I heard my son like playing it and sort of singing along to it. And I'm like, what do you listen to? He's like, this is his grandson song on TikTok. I'm like, but you know, dad plays on that song. He's like, <laughs> you know, that's my he's song, like, he's like, right? Yeah. He's like, you do not. He's like, you do not. It's like, there's no possible way that you could. I'm like, I swear to you, dude. Wait, this like, is the best story. I'm like, that's me. This. That's me. Listen, that sounds, he's like, please. I'm like, I don't know what's, why would I, one, why would I lie about trying to be on a TikTok song with grandson for you? But that's, and then they were like, mm, they kind of like, wow, that's weird. Why would dad be on something that's like that? It's weird. So oh anyway. <laughs> my God. that brings me so much joy also because, you know, I think I was the original person that connected you and grandson. You did. I'm so you proud absolutely of. did. You absolutely did. Aww. He's a great dude. I love that guy. I love. See, that's where I come in. My that's I don't play guitar, but I'm a missionary in that I I'm with yeah. you. I want to evolve the genre. I want to connect yes. generations. You're the, and just you're the connective tissue. You're the connective tissue. You really are. You really are. Oh, oh but I was going to say like how how Guitar Hero used to make songs. You know, sort of like a song from Heart or Kansas would all of a sudden yeah. be every twelve year old's favorite song. Um, one song that has made a big impact in my house and in the car and i have to listen to about 40 times a day is hotel california and i'm oh, not wow. sure not sure how they got on that or what route it came in but uh, you know the other day my son was explaining like how the production was brilliant in that song and then he was <laughs> for real, then he was comparing it to like he played me like a harry Styles song he said listen to how like how they've taken elements from the production of hotel california and oh, how they wow. uh, they've used those elements you know and what it's one of the big harry Styles hits and i was like well, all right. <laughs> that must make you so proud. Yeah, it's, it's really awesome. special. Pretty awesome. So we get inspiration from our kids, but also we have to talk about Mary, your mother, the yes. ultimate rock star who's <laughs> yeah. turning 100. God willing, Mary Morella will be 100 on October 1st. She's... uh 99 now and she weathered you know the pandemic you know and uh you know she and i still do our our lithium radio show uh weekly and she contributes to that and she's doing all right you know 99 is 99 is not 79 or 59 but it's uh but she's you know it's just great to you know see today you know i'll be taking her to her grandson's basketball playoff game it's so cool Pretty cool. She's a she's a living legend, and and people yeah. might not realize that how active and what a rock star she is, and she yeah. really inspired a lot of your activism. Sure. Tell me more about how she has and continues to inspire your drive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's a very unique person. She grew up in a small coal mining town in central Illinois. The one thing that everybody ha- in town had in common was that no one ever left. Until Mary Morell, she was born in 1923, you know, and so you know during the during the uh, Great Depression, uh, you know, our our family was one of the houses where hobos were welcome when they came off the train, you know, to get a meal on on the back porch. Uh, you know, in her in her 20s, you know, she helped the the Ward Drive bond, you know, against Nazi Germany and sort of collecting rubber and things like that. Uh, then she, you know, then she left and she became a, a foreign student advisor at uh, University of Illinois. 
Uh, that's where she met people from different countries and decided she wanted to teach elsewhere. Right after World War II, you know, while the rub rubble was still burning, she yeah. um, taught um, in Wiesbaden for five years in Germany. Then she taught in Spain. She taught in Japan. She traveled like, with, on, like, with no budget. You know, she would be like on a tramp steamer because she just wanted to go around the world and see what Indonesia might look like. She ended up in Kenya where she met my dad and um, she was teaching there as well and then came back and, you know, we, I grew up in a small town in, the, in, in, in Illinois, but, but she never ceased her sort of tireless activity of mind and body. You know, she was involved in the civil rights movement with the Urban League. She ran an anti-censorship organization called Pair. Parents for Rock and Rap, which was the right. counter to the Tipper Gore's PMRC, which was trying to censor metal and, and hip hop at the time. And it's just been, a, you know, she was all, when I was when she was teaching high school after after she finished teaching high school, she would go over to the Salvation Army and teach um, homeless people and recovering addicts to get their GEDs. You know, it's like it, it, it just was like. It never was kind of, oh, my mom's inspiring me. I just thought, I kind of thought everybody's mom was like that. So you get right. over and you realize like nobody's mom. Nobody's like, mom is like, like that. Nobody's yeah. mom is like that, you know? And, you know, she always would introduce my various bands through the years with a very colorful introduction. I was telling somebody yesterday was was talking about Lollapalooza, sort of reminiscing about Lollapalooza. And, and at the 1993 Lollapalooza, when Rage Against the Machine was the first, it was before we were an unknown band. We were the first band on stage. And you know, my mom, her, her organization, the anti-censorship organization had booths at all of the Midwestern. So, so my mom was like a participant in, you know, the third year of Lollapalooza and we were in New Orleans and Timmy and Brad the night before had been arrested because they had tried to intervene when cops were harassing a homeless man and New Orleans is, sh is shady. And so we had to pay money as a fine to the cop. Anyway, so my mom was there. And so she introduced the band the next day. This is like Lollapalooza is a phenomenon. Everybody's there. There's like 60,000 people there at 1.30 in the, in, in the afternoon when we're going on. This little old lady, retired school teacher, has a microphone on stage and leads the crowd in a chant of fuck the New Orleans police. You know, just sort of swinging She's the microphone back and forth. And I'm like, that's my people are like, wow, that lady was kick ass. I'm like, that lady's my mom. <laughs> he, your, your mom jokes have a whole new meaning with Mary Morella because she's so exactly. cool. You actually want to be like your mom, and like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'll send her your. I'll send her your regards. I'll see her later today. Please do. Please do. Yeah. Um, I also want to brag about you for a second because you have a political science degree from Harvard, and you thought you wanted to be in politics at one point. Yeah, well, not not so much electoral politics, but I okay. always knew that I always knew that I wanted to be involved in activity okay. to change the world. Mm -hmm. I did leverage when I first moved to Hollywood and was unemployable. My only my only um, work experience had been working at the Renaissance, the Bristol, Wisconsin Renaissance Fair. So I had like a, an Ivy League degree, but my only like abilities, like I could juggle. I could do a little fencing and I, <laughs> and I knew a couple of pirate shanties, you know, <laughs> which, you know, they, I, I couldn't, I got turned, I tried, I got turned down from selling, you know, Iron Maiden t-shirts at a head shop on Hollywood Boulevard. I'm like, but I'm, but I'm an Ivy League grad. They're like, we, you, you don't know how to make change. Yeah. So, but I did the, 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 the job that my degree was able to get me. I worked for several years as the scheduling secretary for uh, United States Senator Alan Cranston. And while that paid the bills for a short period of time, it did cure me of the idea of ever wanting to be involved in sort of mainstream politics. Right. So you turn to your music instead. Yeah. And um, how did you and Zach and the band initially connect? 
it was just through a fortunate set of circumstances. You know, um, I had played in a band called Lockup prior to Rage Against the Machine, and Brad had in the in the waning days of Lockup, uh, Brad Wilk had auditioned for the band, uh, and we became friends. I just thought he was a great, great drummer. Drummer. It just didn't. It wasn't a match, but I loved him, and mm-hmm. so the second that that band broke up, I you know I was sitting on the phone and. The singer called me up to say, "Hey, the band's over with." And I hung up the phone. And I called up Brad, <laughs> oh, <laughs> like on the, cool. on the same yeah. couch, and we connected. And it was just over the course of some time through various musical acquaintances that we finally all got in the room. Which was thirty years ago. Uh, last, the first time we were in a room, I think it was August thirty first, nineteen ninety one. It's unbelievable. And with you guys, we've talked about this before, that the chemistry was innate. And there's this video, I watched yeah. it again, where you guys are playing on like this college quad during yeah. lunch. And w- basically what you're watching is Rage Against the Machine. It really just sounds just like you guys. Yeah. Did you know in that moment that you're like, oh, this is it. Like, this is special. No, I mean, uh, it's hard to say because it's like there was the one thing that I, I cannot emphasize enough is that the band had zero commercial ambitions. I had already had a record deal and it sucked. My life got a lot worse after having a record deal than when I was just playing the clubs and kind of having a nice time playing music with friends. Um, and so, you know, we, we, the band did sort of come out fully formed in a way. And there is, it's, it's at Cal State Northridge, the, the, the video that you're referring to. It was the mm-hmm. first public, we had played a living room party before them and an open mic night uh, at oh. Al's bar, at Al's bar before them. Uh, but that was the first time we played. And it's a, it's a funny video because it's our 17 year old friend was, you know, had a tripod and the thing and it's set up there. <laughs> and you can see it's like it's it's a lunchtime. It was probably like the lunchtime concert series. So here's a and people are like walking by, like with their lunch trays. Like and trays. Rage, Against the, yeah. Rage Against the Machine is like thrashing wildly on the stage. <laughs> My favorite part, if you, if you do go back to the video, you see there's these two yeah. guys that they stop to watch. They're like metal dudes. And, you know, they have the Hesher hair and whatnot. And. You can tell that they're indecisive. The, the camera's like behind their heads. You can tell they're indecisive. They're like, you know, this is not, it's not their cup of tea. And there are elements that they, you can tell they find off-putting. But there's also, it's also, <laughs> it's also rocking. And so that you can tell, you, you really are seeing the moment. And this happened in, you know, all over the world and with different bands, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, whatever, whatever someone's entry drug was to what would become alternative music or hard alternative yes. metal or whatever. But you could see they're having their moment right there. And their moment, their their epiphany comes at the end of the song, Bullet in the Head, where they they're like, they've been they've been, you know, they got nothing better to do. Class doesn't start for, you know, 25 minutes. So they're gonna, <laughs> yeah, they're gonna they, they ate their lunch or smoke their weed or whatever. So they're just yeah. like wait waiting, you know, killing time. But the end of Bullet in the Head comes on and you see them and they kind of like their their two heads kind of like Look at each other like this, and then start bobbing in unison. Oh, like, that's like, the best! You got them, and you, you can t- and you can tell, like, well, that's it. And that moment sort of replayed across the continents over the course of the next couple of years. I have to go back and watch that specifically. It's funny, yeah, it's pretty funny. You've called Zach the punk rock James Brown, which is so cool. Does he know that? Is he flattered by this? <laughs> You'd have to ask him. <laughs> Yeah, but I think that's really cool. He is he is one of the great front men. And thank God you guys got to play these most recent dates together. Sure, sure. Um, how did the Madison Square Garden shows feel in particular? Well, I got to tell you, it was playing, you know, five nights at Madison Square Garden was was very significant. The day of the first show, you know, I had my family in town. And so we went up to um, 
the old apartment that my mom and I lived in in Harlem at uh, uh, West 142nd and Riverside, which at the time was a pretty gnarly neighborhood. Now it's a little bit more gentrified, but still a little gnarly. Um, and I brought them to the, you know, the, 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 the doorstep where, where we lived and where my mom, when I was a baby, my mom used to bring me out in the stroller and walk down to the river. And then, you know, here we were 50, whatever years, years later, we drove straight from there to, you know, to the first of five nights, you know, sold out at Madison square garden. And, you know, and I think they kind of got, I called my mom from the steps too and said, you know, I'm back at the spot and, and, and tonight we're going to go do this thing. And so that was pretty, that was pretty meaningful. I've played at Madison square garden a few times before audio slave played there, played there with Bruce and them. Springsteen a couple of times. It was the first time that Rage had played there. And um, when I was in my previous band, Lockup, you know, every band has kind of the arc of their story. And near the end of that band's arc, we were on a desperately miserable tour. You know, we had we couldn't afford the 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 guitar tech anymore. We couldn't afford the tour manager anymore. It's so the four of us in a van. The record company hasn't returned a phone call in a month and a half. Yeah. You know, you're out there playing gigs with hardly anybody there it was my birthday we're playing a place called wilkes bar or wilkes berry i'm not sure exactly how you pronounce it pennsylvania, pennsylvania it was a, like, yeah. yeah it was like a hotel sort of a hotel lounge kind of gig the opening band that whoever they were that night played when they left like them and their girlfriends left and there was literally no one in the room Aww. like there's a there's a there's a waitress and a monitor guy thank goodness the monitor guy was there so we could hear ourselves clearly <laughs> And you know, we're just sort of going like, how many songs do we have to play to get our $45 or hundred bucks or whatever to get, to try to get to the next city. And we were, you know, all sharing a room and afterwards sitting around just miserable. I had never smoked a cigarette in my life. My, the bass player used to smoke all the time, kind of drive me crazy. Um, <clears throat> and I, and I, and I said, give me one of those. And I said, he said, Aww. are you going to smoke a cigarette? I said, no, I'm not going to smoke a cigarette. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put this cigarette in my guitar case and I'm going to smoke it the night that I headlined Madison Square Garden. Oh my God, I have chills. And I didn't save the cigarette, ridiculously, but someone loaned me one and I didn't smoke it, but I had it on hand as sort of a, as sort of a connecting the, the oh. you know, that feeling of, of sort of loss and desperation, but ultimately some sort of hope. And in the weird way that the world works um, at the end of the day. So I, I, it was, Kind of a nice moment. Let me ask you, I mean, being in a band, you got signed and then kind of hitting rock bottom as you could in that band. How yeah. did you know? What was that intrinsic motivation or that headspace, it was like, well, I'm going to be playing the garden, so this is all good. It's part of the journey. <laughs> I didn't know. I, was, I didn't know I was going to be playing the garden. Let me just make that very, very clear. But you manifested. I didn't manifest it. You were determined. Yeah, I was determined. But I, I will say this: the, the 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 in some ways, the best thing that ever happened was that band getting dropped. Because when I moved to Hollywood, I moved with the ambition to be a rock star. I moved with the ambition to make albums. I moved because I read in Hit Parader and Cream Magazine that you had to move, you had to relocate where the A&R people were and get a band together and do a showcase. Like there was sort of a way, a way that it happened, you know? Yeah. And I did that and I did all of it. And I got an incredible, against all odds, you know, I had been out there, you know, like four, four years and my band got signed and everybody back home thinks you're a multimillionaire. I'm like, you, know, <laughs> you don't know, dude, I have like still have six roommates. We still can't, you know, pay rent. But then like we did everything 
that the record company asked. Like the producer kind of wanted to soften the sound. We, the, the Blocka was a band that was maybe a little bit more, it was kind of like somewhere between Living Color and Aerosmith. It was kind of funky and uh, oh. hard, but the record company wanted to make it more into what what you might know as sort of Latter-day Chili Peppers, like sort of yeah. more radio pop kind of things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't like any of that. I, I, that's not for me. That's, but we did it. And, you know, when we went on promotional tours and kind of did the stuff and, and, it, and because we were like, they must know best. Like they, right. they must know best. They, this is how they, this record company has Guns N' Roses, this one and that one. They must know best. And when we got dropped, I was, I made a, I was like, okay, I'm never going to be a rock star. I'm never going to make albums, but I can't help but being a musician. And I made a solemn vow that I would never play another note of music that I didn't believe in. That's awesome. You know? Yeah. And I held true to that. And that's, that's how Rage Against the Machine, my contributions to Rage Against the Machine, Audio Slave, The Night Watchman, my work with Springsteen, every record sense has come about is by holding true to that and not caring where the chips fall. Authenticity is key. That's the takeaway. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, that was the, I mean, that was the surprise because it's like, oh, they didn't, the experts didn't, it turns out they didn't know. They didn't know. They weren't the experts. <laughs> it turns out they weren't the experts. What was, what was, what was, what was the expert opinion was the authentic opinion of artistic expression of who you really are. And that's the thing that ultimately connected, you know, with, between the four of us and, and rage and then the four of us and audio slave and the five, six of us with profits of rage, et cetera, et cetera. You know? Yeah. That's amazing. You know, who is a rage against the machine expert, uh, Guy Fieri. Cause he was like at every single show, the mayor of Flavortown. There he was <laughs> rocking out to every rage show. Did you know about that? That he kept showing up? I did see him. I will say this though. I didn't have any idea who he was. Like, I don't watch a lot of TV. I don't know. He was just sort of like a colorful person. I think he's a friend of, <laughs> I think he's a friend of Brad's and I would see him in backstage in the hallway and I'd kind of give him a fist, a kind of a COVID free fist bump. I'm like, what's a, what's <laughs> <Yeah>. up, dude? <laughs> <laughs> you know, later, later, you know, as the, as the tour went on, I was like, people were like, oh, that guy's like a chef or something. I'm like, all right, right on. I'm glad he likes the band. It's cool. I don't he know. He was committed, though. He was like, he I was. love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love yeah. finding out fellow fans, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about your dangerous situation while you got taken out by security while you were on the stage. That was very That's, scary. That was a dangerous situation. It was, uh, it was a first, too, where um, in... T- the second night we were playing in Toronto um, during the song Killing in the Name, a, an exuberant fan uh, <laughs> managed to managed to rush past security, which I guess it would, in that case it was security with a lowercase s because the kid was on, <laughs> on, on stage in two seconds flat. You were not secure. Yeah. I was, I was particular. I was doubly unsecure because Ours, that was like local security that he rushed past. Um, and then our security guy to try, you know, to try to I don't know, get, save the band from, from harm, gave the kid a shove off the stage. And, but the security guards momentum carried him into me and knocked <laughs> me off of the stage oh my God. during the song. And it was, uh, it was really one of those moments where I don't know if you've ever been in a car crash or something where like the world slows down and you kind of go, this might be it. Like one second I was playing, you know, the verse of killing the name. And the next second I'm you know, the good, the fortunately it was, I was, it was really, um, it was kind of a, a coin flip because at the front of the stage, there are, um, there's speakers 
like ev- like it's speaker space, speaker space, speaker space. And fortunately, we landed on a speaker. If if I had gone down in the space, I would have gone you know seven eight feet down head first with a three hundred twenty five pound dude you know pile driving yeah. my spine into the ground. So that would have been a I was I was totally fine. I was I was completely unharmed. My guitar was unharmed. We I popped up. We finished the song, but um, there might have been the a, rock gods were looking out for you because yeah, might, you watched had, the video. It's we might scary. have had to have had a, had a have a meeting afterwards about protocols. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you're okay. I remember I hit you yeah. up like right after that. I was yeah. like, please tell me you're okay because yeah. the video yeah, looked gnarly. The video yeah. looked gnarly. I was totally fine. Yeah. The funny thing was like the kid. Like if you see the like the he. He's like part gazelle or something because he gets shoved. <laughs> he was so he gets, nimble. He was a nimble. He's a nimble <laughs> son of a bitch. He gets shoved off the stage. Like it, it could have been more dangerous for him. I mean, he was just like right. rocking it off the stage. He pops right up and he's just like high fiving and get, throwing metal horns up. And he he walks right by me. For all he knows, I'm paralyzed. For all he knows, he just. <laughs> He doesn't, he doesn't even give me a second glance. He's just like, I did it. I did it. He's so agile. Yeah. And then poor Zach also got injured, which of course is why we couldn't continue the shows. Um, yep. Do you know how he's doing or if, if we're thinking there's going to be more shows in the future? I was subjected to the same injury prior to the tour. I didn't, you know, without a lot of fanfare, I ruptured my Achilles a year ago, oh. Thanksgiving. And, um, you know, in rehearsals was you know, on crutches for, for, for a while. It takes about a year. It's a, it's a significant injury. You know, it takes about a year to heal. And then, you know, when you're a, of a, of a certain age, there's only, you know, you, in your mind, you're still rocking like, you know, at Cal, Cal State Northridge. And, uh, right, and, uh, right. you know, for my sake, I, I just Googled, I like, like, what does, what sort of ankle braces does Steph Curry wear? <laughs> like, I, <laughs> right, like, right, those, right. Those probably work, right? Those probably work. Yeah, they have he, he to. Yeah, so I, that's what I, that was my kind of superpower during the tour was wearing those. Ugh, I mean, do you think we're going to have more raid shows in the future? That's a, you got to ask Zach that question. Okay. If there's a Rage Against the Machine show, I will be there playing guitar. I love that. <laughs> we just were talking, it's been about 30 years since the start of Rage, and it's crazy to think 20 years with Audio yes. Slave. Yes. It's like unbelievable. I mean, it I can't even wrap my head around that. Um, also like a stone just joined YouTube's billion views club Yeah, and uh, has a half a billion streams. I mean, that's wild. The whole, that whole album is, is, is magic. One of my favorite albums in my collection period. What do you think it is about that song in particular, perhaps that resonates so much with fans with like a stone? I mean, I have to say like that, that the making of that whole record was pretty magical. It was in part, you know, over the course of, uh, you know, like, uh, Rage Against the Machine's first 10 years, we only made three albums of original music. Um, and I like I I'm like tend to be a very prolific person. I had cassette after cassette after cassette of riffs and ideas and chord progressions and this, this, that, and the other. Um, you know, and Tim and Br- Tim and Brad too, like had nonstop ideas in that initial um in those first rehearsals with Chris Cornell. And and Chris was so great and easy to work with. And and while he had been a principal music uh, writer in Soundgarden. He wanted to pull back. He just wanted to be a lyricist and a melody creator. So it gave us this really wide open field to, you know, take these years of kind of pent up ideas and see what rose to the surface. And it was really, really great to every day go into rehearsal and you never knew what was going to happen. So for like Chris has had a very unique, you know, I've had more than one, you know, famous record producer tell me that 
Chris's ability to kind of conjure a great melody just on the spot was something very special. You know, like very, very special. It's the kind of thing that like great songwriters have, not always great singers have, not always great right. dude, you know, people in rock bands have, but that like great songwriters have is this instinctive inner melodic sense that if you threw at him a complicated riff or a simple chord progression like Like a Stone, he would make something really beautiful out of it or terrifying out of it. It was pretty awesome. I mean, Chris, I mean, you could speak to this. You were in the band with him for so long, but even just as a fan, just how unique he was to be so um, excellent yeah. at every aspect. Just being, <laughs> yeah. if, he, if he just had that voice, that would yeah. be enough. You know, if he just was a great vocalist, you know, yeah, and then yeah, 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 yeah. his poetry, his, his yeah. lyrics, his, yeah. his, like you yeah. said, his innate gift for melody, his persona, yeah. how, how yeah. incredible he is as a performer. It's just almost yeah. like... Yeah. Like and the how, planet line, and how, and how damn good looking he was. He was blessed and gorgeous, the, and how he and was also blessed, gorgeous. He was blessed across the board, man. Like I was a big when I was in lockup, and we were in that van, suffering in that van. You know, if you've ever been in a band, the the rule is like whoever's driving gets to pick the music, right? So when I was like the, those, it was those Soundgarden sub pop cassettes that were my yeah. thing then, and nobody in the band particularly liked it. It was too heavy and it was too kind of abrasive. But I just loved like. From the from day one, I couldn't believe. And here's the thing: like uh, with the Chris in particular, there's a number of artists, it, it, a short list, but he was at the top of that short list that um, redeemed metal in a way. And that, like, I had always been a fan of heavy metal music and loved from Dio to whatever to ACDC to Motley Crue to whatever. But I never like the parts I liked about it were kind of like the music and the aggression and the, this, I wasn't always down with the lyrics and the mm -hmm. lyrics were either about groupies or they were about the devil. And I would like, th neither of those things were a big part of my life. Yeah. And, and it felt in a way that there, that while I got off on the music, that there was a part of who I was that was not represented in my favorite music until Bands like Soundgarden and Jane's Addiction and Living Color. There's a short list of bands that were, they had like really intelligent, poetic vocalists who were unafraid. Now, there were plenty of intelligent, poetic vocalists in non-metal. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like right. But, but now these were guys that were unafraid to embrace awesome Led Zeppelin riffs and big, heavy jams and guitar solos, but not be afraid to be smart. And not be afraid to like have a have a deep sort of poetic inclination that they they wore on their sleeve along with their Black Sabbath t-shirts. Absolutely, yeah. That Soundgarden were were the gateway for me as well, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. In addition to music and being a father and a husband, you somehow have time to do your radio shows, your yeah. podcasts, and also I watched <laughs> uh, the Metal Lords on Netflix. Sure. I watched that, yeah, yeah. which you did with uh, with DB Weiss, co creator yeah. of Game of Thrones, yeah. of course. But yeah. that movie is awesome. The cameos that you guys make, yeah. is so fun, super fun. How, yeah. how do you find time to do all of this stuff? And is that just sort of like this innate drive in you to keep creating? Yeah, I mean, I've always had a pretty big motor on me. And, you know, one of the things that I love doing when I'm on tour is after the show or on nights off, I'll go to some metal club and DJ. And I just love kind of inflicting my musical taste on others. And so doing the, you know, I started doing the, the radio show during the pandemic where everybody had time. Uh, mm -hmm. And it was a way to, I love, I'm always making playlists anyway. So why not kind of, 
inflict those on, on yeah. the listeners there. They were, they were cool. Like they had, they had approached me a couple of times about it and I was always too busy or didn't feel right. And I said, you know, here, it's pretty simple. Like if I can play anything I want to play and I can say anything I want to say, I'll do it. And they were like, Perfect. cool. So, you know, it's, I, I, what I love is like sometimes people are, you know, I've got one show on lithium and another show that which rotates, which is like the nineties alt station. And then another show that kind of rotates each week. It might be on Ozzy's Boneyard or the EDM, depending on what I've curated for that week. And people get so mad, like when, you know, on the lithium stage, because I'll play, you know, I'll play Sabbath, I'll play Johnny Cash, and then I'll, you know, I'll play Soundgarden and that stuff too. But like somebody's so like, they, why doesn't Morello just stick to spin doctors? That's amazing. No disrespect, but you're not going to hear spin doctors during my right. album. You're not going to hear it. You're not going to hear it. Goes it goes back to that authenticity. You can only I play, play what you want to hear. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. We are going to do a final round. I call it okay. my deep cuts. Okay. Just a, just a good Q&A section. Okay. okay. Name a song, album, or artist that changed your life. Uh, oh, there's a number of them. I'll start with Peter Gabriel's song, Biko about um, South African, like the, it was the Martin Luther King Jr. of South Africa who peacefully protested against the uh, racist apartheid regime, was killed by the cops. And Peter Gabriel wrote a beautiful song uh, about his life and his spirit. And it was one of the things that helped galvanize world opinion against apartheid that led to people pressuring their governments to boycott, which led to helped lead to the eventual downfall of apartheid. So it really was a song that changed the world. If you haven't wow. heard it, you want to check that one out. I, ne- yeah. I need to go back now and listen to that immediately. Yeah, Thank you yeah, for that. It's beautiful. Yeah. Your first concert. Well, that'd be Kiss, uh, 1977 at the Chicago Stadium. Um, I was very excited. They were my favorite band. I bought a ticket at Ticketron. I waited in the line in the cold and, um, I bought a ticket. I was there. The morning tickets went on sale, and my ticket said uh, a partial view of Kiss, which, <laughs> which I assume meant it was going to be some sort of introspective look into their <laughs> into their poetic souls. It meant that my seat was behind a pole, uh, and and uh, it was still the most exciting two hours I had experienced in my life, and it made me go hallelujah, rock and rolls for me. You didn't even need to see it. You could just feel I it. Had to, I had to look around. I had to, you know, I had to look around the pole to see Gene <laughs> breathing fire and whatnot. Yeah. Do you have a favorite movie? That's a good question. Um, I, yes, I do. I'm just going to, I'm going to say yes, because you're asking me this question. Uh, probably, <laughs> I, there's two, and I'm going to say them both because they're, they're okay. one is I really love, uh, you know, I love the Lord of the Rings movies and the mm-hmm. uh, Return of the King is awesome. It's a movie we all sort of sit around and watch around the holidays every year. And it's just, a, I, you know, the young Dungeons and Dragons player in me loves that movie. But, but if I'm really, if I dig deep, if like, like you really want to know what my favorite movie is, my yeah. favorite movie, I say my favorite movie, my favorite moment in any movie is the end of the movie Babe, where the pig Aww. silently rounds up the sheep and they win. And it's, a, and it's like, it's like, I got taken to that movie, you know, when it first came out and I was like, I am not going to a damn movie about a damn pig. Stop it. <laughs> Stop love, it right I, look, now. I got, I have, I have rock to play. I have governments <laughs> to topple. I've got a busy life and I'm not watching a movie about a damn pig. Anyway, 
I was convinced to go see that movie. And it, I, at the end of it, in the theater, I believe I stood up. I'm like, yeah! Standing up. Right on, right on, babe! <laughs> Wait, that is incredible, Tom. That is amazing. Okay. I've seen it a, I've seen it a thousand times since. Do you have a favorite meal or cuisine? Yes, my favorite meal is white cake batter, which many might think disgusting, but it's so delicious. If by disgusting you mean delicious, yes, by disgusting I, I mean the greatest that. taste you could the ever have in your ever. mouth. Yes, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm a big yeah. baker, so I love that yeah. answer. Incredible. Um, if you were not a musician, what would you be? Well, I mean, I have a big side of myself which is not a musician, which is sort of doing the social justice activism right. thing, and so. I would, you know, I'm already doing that. So if I had to put down the music, I would, instead of, instead of just playing guitar at, at these rallies, I would probably just be, you know, speechifying, Fred Hamptoning these rallies. Got it. Yeah. yeah. Do you collect anything? I don't currently collect anything. Guitars, I, maybe? No, I'm not a guitar. I have some guitars, but they're either guitar, like the guitars that I've had for 40 years or like sometimes you get gifted guitars and yeah. you know, those are around, but I know, I'm not one of those guys that's like. Here's a Fender Fifty Nine that I spent, you know, half a million. To, like I don't, I don't care. My guitars are like all from the land of misfit toys. Aww. Yeah. So, do you have like a prized possession, like maybe one some something in particular? I do have a prized possession. I do. It is a. Um, growing up, I was a big fan of horse racing. There's a lot of I'll preface this by saying there's a lot of cruelty in that sport. I think they probably shouldn't do it anymore. But my favorite athlete as a kid was Secretariat. The racehorse. That was my favorite yeah. athlete as a kid. Aww. Other people like, you know, Jordan or 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 this one or Hank here and I'm secretary. Um, and years later, um, uh, my friend Shooter Jennings, who's Waylon Jennings' son, Waylon was friends with the person with the owner of Secretariat and had something tucked away in a closet for and so Shooter gifted me for some birthday, um, I think it might have been my 40th birthday. Uh, it's a lock from Secretariat's Maine. And it's pretty wow. awesome. Wow, that is okay. huge. Yeah. So if you if somebody's listening to this and you don't know, you're thinking you think this is crazy talk. I'm going to say two things which are crazy. One is one of my principal artistic influences as an as an artist. I'll say as an artist as opposed to just a guitarist uh, is Secretariat. Wow. And it was I I was looking when I was trying to find my own voice on the instrument. I tried to look beyond music. For inspiration. And I found some in the comedy of Richard Pryor, in like the stunts of Evil Knievel, um, but particularly Secretariat. You know, there's a thing called the Triple Crown, which is like the famous three horse races. Mm -hmm. Secretariat holds the record in each of it's the greatest athletes, perhaps of all time. But in the Belmont Stakes, the final one, something happened which sort of defies explanation. It was a supernatural event. The horse won by 31 lengths, which is kind of like someone scoring 200 points in a, in a basketball game. So it's like right. some, and I remember watching that as a kid and everyone in the room and in the stands were crying. It wasn't that it was the greatest thing, the greatest creature doing that sport. It was someone that destroyed the, the idea of what the sport was. And I thought, that's what you aim for in your art. Wow. Or be a guitarist and create your own sound. That's, that's the, just unique that's to the, you, Tom. That's the same. That's the same. Yeah. Ball. Aiming, really aiming, cool. aiming for that. That's amazing. I guess I want to ask what you hope to achieve next. Well, right now I'm figuring it out. You know, this has been a, it's been an interesting time. You know, 
I love playing guitar. I love creating music. I love attending my kids' basketball games. <laughs> um, yeah. And the world, there's a lot of, the world needs changing, you know, and I, and I fully realize that that doesn't happen on its own. And so using my, you know, the, the, the arrows that I have in my quiver at my disposal, my art and my whatever, I've, whatever else I've got uh, to try to continue to move the needle towards a more peaceful and just planet. Oh God, Tom, I'm grateful for you. You inspire me on multiple levels. You are a beautiful, beautiful human being. I talk about you all the time. If only oh. you heard about how I speak about you. <laughs> um, so well. I'm just telling you, you are, you're amazing. And, and thank you always for everything you do. Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan as well. And I think that you're, you know, I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again, but it's just your, your, your essence is just so important in the world in a time where, you know, again, I don't, I don't, it's important, like as fans of rock and roll, which you and I are, and we believe that this is such a such a great art form that is no longer clogging the top of the charts like it once did. <clears throat> and there's part of me that realizes that you have to you have to recognize the a, a value in the things that come after you and get out of the way. In a way, you know, what I mean, you right. got to get out of the. Yeah. You can't just be like, man, the like. Fog Hat's the only band that will ever matter, you know. <laughs> and you kids are just too stupid to realize it. You know, yeah, a, exactly. You know, there's that gene. There's that gene in every generation. Like it's ridiculous what these kids are listening to. Um, but at the same time, there is nothing like that experience. Whether you are creating it, of like stepping on that distortion pedal or the sound of that electric guitar, whether you're creating it or whether you're experiencing it. On the on the other hand, of that that electric feeling of tribal togetherness with like rock and roll occurring. That's a brand new thing. When that first happened with, you know, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, yeah. et cetera, it's the first time the planet had known anything like that. It tapped into That's something right. very, very deep in our reptilian core that feels like the truth. It feels like the way we should be living. And the, all the other yeah. stuff that we do is kind of like, we need to figure out a way to make that the world where we're feeling as fulfilled and as together as we do when something like a great rock and roll concert is happening. Amen. Amen, Amen. to that. Amen to that. Amen, Amen to that. Awesome, Tom. Well, I, that's all I got for you. All right. Well, thank you. It's lovely to see you. Tom Morell, everyone. He just deserves a round of applause because he is a gift to interview. He is a gift to have as a friend. He is such a great conversationalist. I'm grateful for him and all of his contributions to music and humanity. Yes, I love him that much. I hope you do too. It is time for this week's sound advice. New music you need to know. You can find it on the Allison Hagendorf Show playlist, and the link to that is in the show notes. I'm kicking off this week with the band Sleep Token. The song is called The Summoning. I've been following this band for a couple of years. They are anonymous. They are masked. Frontman goes by the name Vessel. And this is for fans of metal, metalcore, alternative metal, whatever you want to call it. The vocals are beautifully melodic. This song is very driving and dynamic. Next up is Bob Villain with the song The Delicate Nature. I love this duo from London. They incorporate elements of hip-hop, punk, indie, all into a sound, all their own. This song features Laurie Vincent from Slaves. They're an incredible live band. Definitely check them out. 
I also want to feature this week the latest from Swim School and their song, Delirious. Now, this one talks about the misogyny that frontwoman Alice Johnson has encountered. It's a very powerful song. Their EP, Duality, comes out later this year. This is definitely a new band that needs to be on your radar. Also, I must feature the guys in You Me at Six and their song, Heartless. These guys cite Blink-182, Incubus, Thrice, Arctic Monkeys, all influences. They just put out their eighth studio album called Truth Decay. Give that one a listen. All of these, along with the latest song from Tom Morello and Mona Skin, their song Gossip, which Tom and I talked all about, will all be on the Allison Hagendorf Show playlist. The link is in the show notes. And let me know what new music you're feeling. Thank you so much for being part of the Allison Hagendorf Show. New episodes drop every single Friday, so make sure you follow and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts, and you can watch the show on both YouTube and Instagram. I would love to hear from you, so please rate, review, comment, like, whatever you're feeling, and reach out to me on socials at Allie Hagendorf. I would love to connect with you. Thanks again. I'll see you next week, and remember, you're a rock star. 